Welcome to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson, your host, as well as Steve Vaughn with me on this edition of the program. And Steve, you and I are both teachers, kind of a born teacher. My parents were both teachers. It's in my blood. Yeah, you know, mine too. It's just, <laughs> I was an engineer and, uh, you know, I was in engineering management and such, but I finally decided to get out of the corporate world in 1999 because I knew my calling was teaching. It's just what I do. It's what Tiggers do. Tiggers have to figure out what t- tiggers are, and I, you know, I teach. But um, here's here's one of the things I've noticed: it's really hard to find economic teaching that's easy to follow. Now, I've worked really hard at this with my book, "How the World Runs," and your part in it. But I'm telling you, I'm not quite there yet. I, I get it. This is tough. Uh, economics is kind of a shell game. Have you ever noticed? You know, when somebody plays a shell game with you, what are you thinking? They're they're trying to trick me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're not being straightforward with me. They want to get my money. <laughs> yeah, I want to get my money. I think that's pretty much what's happening in economics. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's governments that want your money. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a shell game. I think that's what's happening. Now, here's a takeaway that I think is helpful. It, it's another take at what is going on. And I take it from a uh, website, uh, zerohedge.com. And this, I think, was first from Substack, but it's called How a Country Goes Bankrupt in 10 Steps. And I think they focus mainly on Japan, but, you know, as the shoe fits, wear it. The first thing you do to go bankrupt as a nation is you build up massive debt. Okay. Uh, And you do that either through private, corporate, or public debt. Just build it all up. Okay, make sure you get upwards of 110% of the GDP. The Japanese did it by the year 2000. They started out in 1991 at 40%, upwards of 100% by 2000. Now they're roughly, I'm going to say 240% GDP. America is probably closer to 140, but basically right up there with Japan. Step one, build up massive debt. Okay, step two, lower your interest rates to minimize interest expenses. Okay, that will also incur more debt because lower interest rates means all the lemmings want to run into way more debt, whether that be private or public, either way. But you got to lower interest rates to minimize interest expenses. Why? Because if you're super high on your debt, your interest expense is going to be a massive part of your budget. It's going to be, you know, what, 20, 30, 40% of the line line item of your budget. Okay, so step two is lower interest rates to minimize interest expenses. Step three, continue to borrow at virtually no cost, meaning, you know, bring it all the way down to half a percent. Make that a quarter of a percent. Make that (laughs) 0.01 of a percent. And that's what they did roughly between 2011 and 2021. So, yeah, continue to borrow at virtually no cost. Step four, experience sudden sharp inflation. And that's, of course, what's happened in Japan. It's what's happening in America. Now, Japan's upwards of 4% inflation. What, what are we doing? We're, we're 7, 8, 9%. Yeah, it's that's pretty what hard they... to know exactly how high. It's just really, really yeah, high. That's what they report. Have, have you noticed that the price of yogurt is up? Yeah. Like almost double what it was 
a year or two ago, you're thinking, is that 9%? That doesn't feel like 9% to yeah. me. <laughs> you know, Eggs. Uh, sort yeah. of thing. You know, I was I was paying $2 for milk. Now I'm $3.79. That doesn't seem like 9% to me. No, I, what, no, What's no. wrong with me? You know? yeah. uh, but whatever the case is, experience sudden sharp inflation. Step five, experience a plunging currency. With most other central banks tightening to combat inflation, the Bank of Japan kept buying bonds to keep its interest rates low. And investors noticed this yield differential and stopped buying yen-denominated paper. And that's what happens next. Is there's a plunging currency and nobody wants your currency anymore. Step six, reluctantly allow interest rates to rise one more time. Okay, so you, you'd be picking up some more. And then step seven, get swamped by interest expense. So now, now you've got way more interest expense because your, your interest rates are too high. Okay, and then now for the suddenly part. Uh, desperately try to lower your rates and then watch impotently as the yen craters or your dollar craters and uh, step 10 is game over. Okay. Now that happens for Japan. That happens for the United States. That happens for the EU and maybe even China. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you, know uh, you, you start to get these, these massive uh, bankruptcies that occur in Japan, the United States, China. These are the largest economies in the world it's going to domino into a worldwide depression that's what follows that's the next step that's how a country goes bankrupt well we'll talk about what's happening in terms of epistemological teleological bankruptcy next on generations there's a lot of hopelessness in the world around us we talked about this suicidal depression rates among young people has increased between 50 and 75 percent just the last uh, 10 or 15 years and the same thing is happening in terms of the entire population and the world population too talk about that next on generations you know busyness has a way of creeping into our lives as dads it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk and those moments can be tough to come by I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we are back on Generations. This is Kevin Swanson. We've talked about the decline of life expectancy in America by roughly three years in the last three years. And uh, that reversed all the progress made over about 30 years. So America saw a serious drop in life expectancy for the first time in a long time. And I'm asking, wow, after 60 years of modernity, after 60 years of nothing but improved technology, after 60 years of nothing but improved medical access, um, we're losing the game. Somehow, all of the science, all of the technology, all of the hubris, all of the pride and arrogance of modern man is not saving man. 
Now, we've talked about that happening in the United States, but there is a worldwide phenomenon. What's happening economically, what's happening in terms of health, is more and more a worldwide phenomenon. That is, the world is affected by what is going on in America, in the West. We're seeing a domino effect in terms of the breakdown of economy, the breakdown of social systems, the breakdown of health systems, the breakdown of life on planet Earth. Life on planet Earth is breaking down, even as we speak. And what's significant here is life expectancy has dropped worldwide, the only significant dip since the Chinese famines of 1959. Now, that was a few years ago, Steve. That was 60-some years ago. Yeah. And uh, now, it's, it's one year. The numbers indicate equal drops, about half a year in 2020 and half a year in 2021, equating to about one year drop of life expectancy. Now, some say, oh, that's COVID. No, it's not just COVID. There are other issues that are tying into these things. I think just to say it was COVID is too simplistic. If it, even if it was COVID, then okay, you've got some man-generated problems in Wuhan. You've got man-generated problems in terms of the attempted cure or the vaccine or the shot that was supposed to fix the problem in 2021 didn't. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, here's what's going on. Man is incapable of saving himself. <laughs> That's what's going on here. I'm, I'm just looking at the big picture issue here, Steve. That, that That's a huge amen for me. Yeah, we are totally incapable that we will we we may have the technology to make our lives longer but then we also have the technology to shorten it as well yeah and this is the first major glitch in 60 years of modernity now granted mao zedong made a very big mistake in the 1950s okay i mean you know you get tyrants who have control over economies and science and what happens oh now i'm talking about covid-19 again Talking about Mao Zedong or talking about Joe Biden? (laughs) Yeah. Tyrants get control of science, technology, and medicine. What happens? Well, yeah, that's what happened in 1959. That's what's happening today. Those are contributing factors. But here, let's toss this into the mix. It turns out obesity is the fifth leading risk of death in the world today. At least 2.8 million adults die each year as a result of being overweight or obese. In addition, 44% the burden of diabetes, 23% the burden of heart disease, between 7% and 41% the burden of certain cancers attributed to, to overweight and obesity. COVID death rates were 10 times higher in countries where more than 50% of the population was overweight, with the UK and the United States as prime examples. Say that one more time. This, by the way, is a, a, a huge report that just came out. Death rates were 10 times higher in countries where more than 50% of the population was overweight, pointing to the UK and the US as examples. And it's almost a perfect correlation if you look at the, the correlating line. So that's something. Death rates 10 times higher in countries where more than 50% of the population was overweight. Greatest threat to human health, at least something that we can control or should be able to control, is obesity. Another report that came out from the World Obesity Atlas in 2023 is suggesting that more than half the world will be obese or overweight by 2035. Isn't that something? Over half the world is going to be obese or overweight by 2035. 
will cost the world $4.32 trillion, which is about 3% of the gross world product. At present trends, childhood obesity is expected to double with boys and more than double with girls. A total of 1.5 billion adults and nearly 400 million children will be obese, and that will be up from 650 million obese as of 2016. The most obese nations in the world, United States and Muslim nations. It's interesting. Wow. The most obese nations in the world are the United States and Muslim nations. Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Libya, Turkey, Egypt, as well as the Bahamas, New Zealand, and Iraq. Now, I don't have any explanation as to why all of these Muslim nations are obese. I, I don't know. I don't have an explanation for that. But people with obesity are three times as likely to die following development of COVID-19. Obesity in the United States has grown from 14% to 40% since 1970. Now, I want to combine the, the problem with despair deaths and obesity. Despair deaths tying into the overuse of alcohol and drugs versus the overuse of food. Turns out obesity has increased threefold on rates since 1970, from 14% to 40%. So about threefold. So you get ob- obesity rates have increased threefold on rates since 1970. Despair deaths, same thing, increased threefold on rates since 1970. Drug deaths have increased 20-fold since 1970, but if you combine that with alcohol deaths, it's, it's an increase of threefold, as well as suicides. The murder rate, meantime, is about the same that it was in 1970. So it's interesting. You know, crime rates in America have been about the same since 1970. And I know there's a lot of discussion on crime. But, uh, you know, you compare the 13,000 people or 15,000 people murdered each year to the abortion rate or compare that to the obesity mm-hmm. rate. Or compare that to the uh, millions upon millions of people who die from despair deaths and from obesity issues. And, you know, I'm wondering if we should be talking about, you know, crime rates. <laughs> now, crime is an issue, but it's interesting what people are doing to themselves is, is more serious. Think about, think about the roughly 140,000 despair deaths. And I think that the drug deaths are roughly 105 to 110,000. Okay. Compare that to the number of murders each year, which is, hovers between about 10 and 15,000 per year. And you say, wow, despair deaths is 10 times worse. Suicides, 10 times worse than murders in America. Americans are killing themselves. That's the conclusion. Americans are killing themselves. But here's the question. Why? Why has the world tripped and fallen? Why why has science failed us? Why are we losing the life expectancy battle? Why are we losing the suicide battle? Why are we losing the obesity battle? Why are we losing the drug death battle? Now, when it comes down to this issue of obesity, and I want to address that briefly because I haven't talked about that as much on the program as I have the other despair deaths. These, there can be genetic issues relating to weight. So we get that. There are differences in metabolism. There's bigger bone to people and so forth. Okay, so there are those issues, but we're not going to address those issues. We're just simply not, not, not talking about the fact that there are more genetic issues today than there were in 1970. We're talking about there's an obesity problem that's three times worse than it was in 1970. So what's the deal? So 
40% of Americans are obese today. 40%. I want that to sink in. Not overweight, obese. 40% of Americans obese. It's up from 14% in 1970. 30% of Americans binge drink alcohol on a regular basis, which means they get drunk. Okay. 40% of Americans are obese. 30% of Americans binge drink alcohol regularly. 20% of Americans abuse drugs and 8% are addicted. Now that adds up to 90%. Now granted, there's some crossover here. So, you know, some who are obese and they drink alcohol and so forth. Okay. Again, the rates are three times higher than they were in 1970. So if these behavior-oriented health problems are about 60% today, they were only 20% in 1970. Does that make sense, Steve? Yes. I'm, I'm trying to give everybody a sense for the magnitude of the problem and the trend that has occurred since 1970. All right? Now, why the trend? Why is it three times worse in terms of despair deaths, alcohol deaths, drug deaths, and obesity issues three times worse than it was in 1970. Why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. Let me just throw these things out. Now, we've talked about the teleological issues that people have lost a sense of purpose and meaning and so forth, but let's just hit a few of these things. People eat to deal with stress. People are self-medicating and escaping. People seek pleasure here and now. Sometimes people turn into pleasure junkies. People are rich and they have lots of of disposable income, except that they don't. Now, what one, one thing I'd throw out, which I think is very interesting, is it's well known that the poorer Americans are more likely to be obese and suffer from diabetes. There's a strong negative correlation between household income and both obesity and diabetes. This negative correlation has only developed in the past 30 years. Can you believe that? Just since 1990. So the correlation yeah, did crazy. not exist in the 70s and 80s. But now the, 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 the rise of obesity is fastest among the poorest U.S. regions, such as places like Alabama, Mississippi, West Virginia, places where people don't work as much. They're on uh, welfare more so in places like this. So welfare has become extremely destructive to the poor. It destroys their health. It destroys their families. It destroys fatherhood. We, we've talked about that a hundred times if we talked about it once on the program. So yeah, welfare is probably the source of the problem. Now, when you look at what the scriptures say about gluttony and drunkenness, let's just go to what the scriptures say about this. Proverbs 2019, hear my son be wise. Direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. It's interesting that, although some evangelicals and fundamentalists may disagree, the Bible actually associates drunkenness and gluttony as equally bad sins. It's interesting that sometimes they say, hey, drunkenness is worse than gluttony. Well, the Bible actually doesn't bring that out. The Bible sees us both as problems. Mm-hmm. When it comes to alcohol, Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Uh, do not get drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 5. Uh, Proverbs 23, verse 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, those who... Go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles on the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, stings like an adder, 
your eyes will see strange things in your heart, utter perverse things. What, what, is, what is the word saying? Well, the word is saying that wine is a mockery. It promises it doesn't deliver. Wine is deceptive. It renders wrong perceptions and destroys one's ability to make proper judgments. Again, we're not saying that there isn't a use for wine at points. We're just simply saying that this is what happens with the excessive use of wine. Using wine and food and drugs to prop up one's emotional well-being is usually counterproductive. It often increases depression while giving you the impression it will help. So there's this constant, oh, this will help you. And there's an immediate sense of comfort, like it's helping, but then it's, we slip back and become even more depressed after we relied upon the wine and the food to uphold our emotional well-being. The scripture does not allow for any other savior, any other salvation, any other God than the true and living God. And when food and alcohol become that idol, then we are dealing with a violation of the first commandment. So these are the sorts of things that the scriptures say about this. Drunkenness and overeating tend to poverty, which means that they lend towards an irresponsibility. We, we, we abandon the responsibilities that God has laid upon us. We lose a sense of our purpose. We lose a sense of why we're here and what we're supposed to do uh, while we are moving into this pleasure-oriented lifestyle that has become so common in our present day. Well, that wraps up my comments on this. And Steve, I think just to, to summarize, the Savior is Jesus. We have Amen. a role to play. We are the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ as we are here. We are not called to live our lives for pleasure. We're here to live our lives for Christ, to serve others, to provide for our families, to be faithful to our various responsibilities and callings that our Lord and Master has placed upon us. Now, see, we have purpose. And I think we come back to this again and again, purpose, meaning for life identity. Who are we? We are the servants of Jesus Christ. He's our master. He saves us from our sins, our emotional problems, our sin problems, our spiritual problems, our mental problems, all of our problems. And we rely upon him, trust in him, and we serve him. That's why we're here. So I think given that, and also a belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, true hope, that the, the final consummation of all things will resolve the problem of death and resolve all of the problems of our lives that we experience here and now. And to have that hope before us each and every day gives us what it takes to make it through the hard times and the trials. I know you're going through trials too, but what's, fact, where's your hope? Yeah. Where's your hope, Steve? My hope is in Christ and his return. I know that he's coming again, and I know that he is my Lord, and that whatever happens, he has a plan and a purpose for my life, and I can trust in him, and I can rely upon him always. And that, that hope in the future, that hope in Christ, gives me the power that I need to live for today. And that's the message we want to take to the world around us. Again, what do we want? Refugees coming out of this worldly worldview that has been so destructive to our society. Let's get the message of the gospel back out there so that others too will see the hope that we have and we can share that with them. And they too will believe in Jesus. They too will know what it is to, to have that resurrection hope in their own lives. 
Well, friends, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. I bring out this this message of what the world has done to us and how it has stripped back the gospel message in my book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West. Get a copy at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.